0: Lake is live. It is Tuesday night, September 21st, year of our Lord, 2021 jam-packed. It's Tuesday, which means it's time to predict some things about the coming weekend. We're already in week four. We've gotten past the quarter poll of the 2021 college football season. So, of course, we've got three games that we're going to hit tonight. We're going to preview them. We're going to predict them. We are, of course, talking about the game we'll be at Saturday, which is Texas A&M versus Arkansas. We are going to talk about the game that we were almost at, which is Notre Dame versus Wisconsin. And I'll tell you what. I don't know if it's going to get a lot of marquee treatment. There's a game at noon Eastern time on, what is it? ESPN Saturday, uh, that I think is a huge hinge game. So much so that we're going to talk about it tonight. It is LSU at Mississippi State. And again, for those of you out there who are not LSU or state fans, but you love the sport, this is a game that you need to have a close eye on. Cause again, when I say hinge, when we talk about hinge games, on this particular show, that means things are going to really, really go hard one way or another, potentially, depending on the outcome. We have got a brand new JP poll tonight. It's going to be so controversial. I disagree with some of it. Don't know how that happens, but I do. And also, we have got uh, another added best bet on the Ramen Noodle Express, which is just chugging merrily along 62 percent it's early obviously uh, but we went 60.9 percent against the number last year so we're doing okay hey we had a little conundrum and it's not been solved out in the bomb shelter office before we went on air tonight as you know i always love when you guys hit me up and you tell me number one where and how you listen to the show and number two i love the location like i gave shout outs to pocatella idaho pocatello because it's the masculine version. If it was the feminine version, it would be Pocatello. But Pocatello, Idaho, uh, and they loved it up there. Bozeman, Montana, we hit them the other night, loved it up there. Well, we got hit up from one of our viewers in Ukraine. And that's the good news. The bad news is neither Colin nor I have the slightest clue how to pronounce this town. So I'm about to play it for you here. You figure this out for me.
1: <coughs> that
0: place. is where <coughs> they're. That's where they're watching us. So we really appreciate you guys and... Yeah, watching us tonight. And we appreciate you wherever you are watching us tonight. So we've got a loaded show. Uh, let's dive right in. I would also encourage you. We got a lot of really good feedback today from the Late Kick Extra mailbag that we do every Tuesday morning and Thursday morning. Our numbers have just hockey sticked. We've added thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners per episode there. And it's really fun because it's a lot looser. Um, We just get to more stuff than we get to on Late Kick Live. Late Kick Live's great, too. Obviously, that's what you're watching right now. But it's just an added element, an added layer. It's all driven by you. It's all Q&A. So we released a new episode this morning, and I would encourage you to check that out. Give us a five-star review while you're there. All right, let's predict some games. Boy, oh boy, consequential games coming up this weekend. Don't ever let them tell you it's a down week in college football. They tried to tell you that last weekend. Was anyone at the end of the day saying, Ugh, this day didn't deliver. No, no, rarely do you say that. So let's dive in here. Arkansas versus Texas A&M. This one is in Dallas. That is the only drawback. Wish it was on campus, but I digress. We're gonna be there either way. It's a 3.30 Eastern time kickoff. That is where the Ramen Noodle Express will probably stop by the end of the week, hint, hint, but that's absolutely where the Late Kick Renaissance Tour is gonna be Saturday. Have you noticed how subtly things are shifting And by shifting, I mean just the whole perception of Arkansas as a team. Remember in the early portion of, let's say, Preview Magazine season, when everyone looked at Arkansas, we were trying to get a record gauge, and you know we don't really do that on this show all that much, but a lot of people like to predict absolute wins and losses game by game, and everyone looked at Arkansas, and they said a couple of things. By and large, they said, Arkansas, nice, solid team. They also probably won't make a bowl, and so we're not even going to bother to rank them. Why? Well, not because of the quality of team. Most people admitted. Probably a pretty good team. They just looked at the schedule. Schedule is something you look at in summer. Games are what you look at once the season gets here. Well, Arkansas is now playing game by game. You don't play a schedule on Saturday. You play games on Saturday. So when Arkansas welcomed very, very unfavorably, might I add, the Longhorns into Reynolds Razorback Stadium a couple of weeks ago. That wasn't a schedule. That was just one piece of that schedule. And it was a game they were, uh, they were not favored in, and it was a game they won. So they knocked one of those blocks down from that huge wall you had built between Arkansas and any kind of hope of a legitimate postseason berth. Well, this is another one of those blocks that made up that big wall. But here's, again, the good news. It's the most basic sentence you could ever say. Arkansas is only playing Texas A&M Saturday. They are only, what, Jesse, a five-and-a-half-point underdog Saturday. That's not the most insurmountable thing in the world if you choose to look at it that way, but a lot of people in the preseason didn't. They looked at schedule, and they threw any hopes that Arkansas had out in the garbage with what they perceived to be an insurmountable task. Well, now it's starting to evolve a little bit because what'd they do? Well, they showed you not only could they beat one of those teams they weren't going to be favored against, they could thrash them, and now they get another shot against another team from Texas. Hey, quick question. What if they go 2-0? and What if they go undefeated against the state of Texas? My, do things change very quickly. You still don't think they're going to go to Georgia and win. You still don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but it really wouldn't matter to them because a lot of you don't think they can beat A&M. You didn't think they could beat Texas. And so who really cares at that point? So let's dive in here. Zach Calzada is the starting quarterback now for Texas A&M. There are mixed feelings about him out there, even within the A&M fan base, not about his quality of character or anything, just strictly, can he play good enough to win the game? Well, unequivocally, yes, I think Zach Calzada can play good enough football to beat Arkansas. I think he can play good enough football for A&M if everything else around him clicks to do a lot of damage this season. Um, I'll tell you, though, when you go back and you look at his performance, albeit very small sample size last couple of weeks, he has turned it over. This has been talked a lot. I know good and well A&M fans are already tired of hearing about this because they think it's it's very very nitpicky. It's very anecdotal, been using that word too much. But the fact remains, we have what we have to go on with Zach Calzada. He did turn it over against Colorado. He did turn it over against New Mexico last week. And so the reason I say that is because Texas A&M's running backs are very clearly the nucleus of this team right now. And that's good news for Zach Calzada. I don't just mean handing the ball off. I mean, passing the ball out of the backfield. That's how they're going to win the game if they win the game, that and avoiding turnovers. But Zach Calzada, one of the keys for them, them being a and to win this game Saturday is Calzada has got to at least present the illusion of balance in play calling. It doesn't matter if it's actually 50-50, but he has to show, Barry Odom, he has to show that Arkansas defensive staff early on that Texas a and is willing, and here's the other keyword, able, to throw the ball or pass the ball on most any down and distance situation. Because I'll tell you what could happen in this game. What could happen for both sides now, I think the biggest key to the game actually, is early down tendencies, which I think someone's going to fall into the trap of here. See, early down tendencies get picked up on, sometimes even by fans and broadcasters, but absolutely by the random staffers you have charting such things. And when early down tendencies start to get figured out, they, by default create third down tendencies. And third down tendencies are no bueno for either one of those teams because these teams cannot afford to be predictable on third down because that equals turnovers. For either one of them, it probably equals that. And that will be the difference in this game if it does start to happen. The other biggest question here is, can Texas A&M make KJ Jefferson, who is the Arkansas quarterback, can they actually make him throw the ball to win this game? If you're an Arkansas fan right now, you are shaking your head No. Not that you doubt K.J. Jefferson. You don't think he's going to have to throw the ball to win the game, do you? You think you're going to be able to run the ball on Texas A&M. Thus, the crux of this entire matchup. Sometimes it's really complicated, and sometimes it's not. you got a bunch of folks in College Station, Texas right now saying, they ain't running the ball on us. We are not Texas. And you got a bunch of folks in Fayetteville, Arkansas saying, we're going to run the ball whenever we want to. Eventually, that dam will break. You will not be able to withstand this for four quarters. Maybe first quarter, maybe quarter and a half, but by the fourth quarter, the game will be ours and the day will be ours because of what we do to you on the ground. And at that point, we can pick and choose when KJ Jefferson puts the ball in the air. Those are the two game plans. Obviously, we can't have both of those things play out simultaneously Saturday. Obviously, something's got to give. We don't know the status of Anaya Smith, who was one of the most important and dynamic playmakers for Texas A&M. Did a lot of damage against Alabama last year. In their big games, he steps up. And it's not that he's been ruled out. It's just he got hurt last week. And Jimbo Fisher, to this point, I don't know. He's been kind of, kind of coy. Did I use that word this year, Colin? He's been kind of coy about the status. Hadn't ruled him out. They actually think he's going to play Saturday. To what degree do we get him? Do we get Aniah Smith? Zach Calzada, I'll tell you to his credit, did include, I think it was seven wide receivers in, well, not wideouts. He included seven receivers. They could play all kinds of different positions. In their game against New Mexico, so he did establish contact through the air with multiple players. That will probably not be the way Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M go about attacking Arkansas Saturday. And he knows, he being Jimbo Fisher, knows good and well Barry Odom's modus operandi. He is more than happy to sit back and let you give it to him. Don't don't care if you complete one for twelve yards, fifteen yards, fourteen yards. They don't care they don't think you can get it done in the red zone and if you've watched Texas a and in the red zone there's good reason to think they will struggle down there Barry Odom and that defensive staff at Arkansas they are better they are deeper they are more SEC caliber and able to rotate a little better in the defensive front but they still are not Georgia or Alabama part B is they don't have to be they play very complimentary football they are keenly aware There is not a program in this conference right now that is more keenly aware of their identity and their strengths and weaknesses and how to game plan around them than Arkansas right now. So I have had a rule that we put on full display on the show last week and we made money off of it. I always love running towards the teams that are starting backup quarterbacks. Uh, When Skylar Thompson was out with Kansas State, we loved him. When Haynes King went down uh, with Texas A&M, we loved him last week and both teams delivered for us. Well, that's rule number one. But rule number two is as soon as we get what we wanted out of those, uh, well, as soon as we see, I would say the production that we thought we would get, then we kind of shy away because we don't view it as sustainable. Our model does not view that as sustainable. It's more like a sugar high. And eventually it comes down and By and large, a backup is a backup for a reason. And the more Tate that gets out on that backup, the less favorable the matchup's going to be down the road. There are always outliers. Zach Calzada could be an outlier. Uh, There are always outliers to that rule. But in general, that's how that works. So Jesse, let's go ahead and take a look at what the model thinks here. And I'm going to tell you what my pick is in just a second. Now, the Vegas line here, as we've shown you on the lower third, uh, most of this segment is Texas A&M minus five and a half. Our model is well under that number the model is under a field goal. It has Texas A&M minus two and a half, so it thinks it's going to be a much tighter game. And let me tell you what it came down to for me. I see no major quarterback edge on the side of the favorite. I see no major identity edge on the side of the favorite, which bothers me even more about Texas A&M. I've watched Arkansas play. They are totally aware of who they are and what they are and what they need to do. Texas A&M, they look to me like someone who's walking on thin ice and they're trying not to fall through. There is no certainty and confidence behind how they're going about things. It's not totally their fault. They've been dealt a rash of injuries up to and including the quarterback position, but it's football. You know, you recruit the way A&M does so you hopefully can fill those voids. Are they good enough to win this game? Yeah. Are they going to? I don't think so. For the first time in nine years, I think Arkansas is actually going to beat Texas A&M. I'm going to take them to win. And of course, because of that, we will take Arkansas to cover and we'll be there either way. All right, let's uh, roll on because we've got several more games to pick here. But first, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're on campus or whether you are in a neutral site. You know, there are a lot of games, for example, happening in big time environments that are on campus this weekend. But as I told you, when I was in college, well, when I was in Happy Valley last week or whether it was Ames the week before, the tailgate scenes we've seen so far this year have been out of this world. And I've gotten feedback from a lot of you who have been out there on the road or, well, for you, it may be home. The in-stadium environments have been crazy, and those are also reflected in the out-of-stadium environments. They've been crazy. And a lot of you have taken to heading to Academy Sports and Outdoors and purchasing products that you need for those tailgating experiences. One of you bought a grill the other day. One of you bought a couple of grills. You sent the screenshots to prove it. We appreciate that. Academy appreciates that. But look, you need it anyway. And if you're watching the show, hopefully that means you support the show. So I would just ask you, be nice, be kind, Be thoughtful and support those who support us because they keep the show free. And if you need the tents and if you need the canopies and if you need the t-shirt to put on your back or if you need those grills with which to put all assortment of protein on this Saturday, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop, quite literally. There's not much you could need on a Saturday in the way of tailgate equipment that they're not going to have. And by the way, a lot of you have taken advantage of the website, academy.com you may not have access to an Academy store right there in your backyard, doesn't matter. Go to academy.com and then get that thing shipped right to your door. It's a click it and forget it sort of deal. I don't know if they've patented that saying yet. They should though. It's not set it and forget it. It's not that Ronco grill. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, they are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of Late Kick and boy, are we glad they are. Okay, let's move it on. I told you when we brought the show on the air tonight, there is a game that is not exactly on the lead marquee for a lot of networks, but boy, it's huge. You know, if you're a a more diehard college football fan, you just look at the logos, LSU and Mississippi State, you just look at these logos and you know, oh, I remember that from last year. Yeah, everybody does. And so here we go. I think it's a huge hinge game for LSU. They're favored by two and a half are the Bayou Bengals. They're going on the road. This is a noon kickoff. It's a very funny Saturday slate. All three games we're breaking down tonight the Wisconsin-Notre Dame games at noon Eastern time, this LSU-Mississippi State games at noon Eastern time, the a and arkansas games at 3.30. Most of the big games are out of the way by the time the sun goes down. I'm not bothered by that, some people are, but this has hinge written all over it. Remember how we talked about Penn State-Wisconsin in week one and how whether Penn State won or lost was gonna be a massive hinge moment for the rest of the season? That is where LSU is right now. I want you to picture yourself living in a world where it is not even, it's not even the last week of September, and LSU has two losses, one of them to UCLA and one of them to Mississippi State. You cannot fathom how uncomfortable things would get down in Baton Rouge. They already are, but you know, if this were to happen, I think in a lot of ways it's kind of not pushing it to the edge of the cliff, it's kind of pushing it over the cliff. Huge hinge moment. Because here's the other side of that coin. What happens if they go into Starkville and they win 36-17? to 17? Passing game clicks, uh, secondary plays a whole lot better, and all of a sudden you say, oh, that's the LSU team I thought was going to show up in week one. As we've said several times in the last week, there's going to be some team out there, maybe more than one teams, that are left for dead, that get off the deck, dust themselves off, look around and realize, look at all these players we have. And then all of a sudden they find that gear could be LSU. You see what I mean when I say hinge? So we're taking a look at LSU's schedule. If you're watching on YouTube, it gets no easier. So they got to get it done this weekend. When you say this out loud, boy, it sounds like it favors LSU, doesn't it? Think about the matchup. Mississippi State does not run it. They are a horrible run team. They don't even pretend to try and do it. Uh, You've got the total inverse, therefore, of the matchup that gave LSU nightmares in week one. UCLA ran it all over LSU. And so you may think, styles make fights well if they do and I would agree with that this is this couldn't be any any different a team than LSU faced and got beat by in week 1 maybe that means something maybe it means nothing but if your strength is through the air and if we're going to find a strength of the LSU defense so far it's the secondary even though I'd like to see them play a lot better you would think the matchup would favor LSU <sighs> shouldn't they win i mean that's what i would ask shouldn't they win well Mississippi State there's if you watch them you understand what I'm about to say there's a difference in throwing the ball to win you can do it a lot of different ways you could do Clemson versus Alabama circa 2018 and just say our guys are going to beat your guys and just throw it up and let them win 50-50 balls or you can scheme guys open and you can acknowledge hey there's a lot of talent in this LSU secondary there was last year too and we scheme guys open now last year and this year going to look totally different because last year it was Bo Pelini outright refusing to do anything than run press man coverage all day. Uh, So there is a Z word sometimes you insert defensively. It's called zone. I'm not so sure we may not see it a few more times this Saturday than we did last year. But by and large, Mike Leach understands and that offense is predicated on scheming guys open, at which point it comes down to either execution and or yards after catch as to who's going to win this game. But LSU leads the nation in tackles for loss right now. It's early in the season. There's a reason, because of the way games have tilted, that they lead the nation, but they do. They're up there in sacks, they're up there in tackles for loss. So, part B here that LSU's really got to take advantage of is Will Rogers and that Mike Leach offense, it's also predicated on getting the ball out quick. So, you're looking at trying to negate a couple of perceived strengths of this LSU defense. It all comes down to execution, it all comes down to winning those early downs, and it all comes down to holding serve and then you look at LSU on offense, and then you look at the feeling you've had, if you've watched them the last couple of weeks, where it's anything but perfect, but at least you feel like some things are starting to click offensively. You feel like Max Johnson is starting to build some chemistry. The problem is, up to and including this very moment, no one has any confidence in LSU being able to run the ball to win football games. And until that changes, they're gonna be a wildly volatile offensive product they are not going to run the ball to win this game Saturday. They're not. Uh, Ed Orgeron confirmed that Tyron Davis Price is going to be a starter. I'd bet you money he doesn't get the most carries in this game Saturday. And I'd also bet you money that when we watch LSU, if they do win, it's going to be because Max Johnson and this passing game and some of those receivers that have thus far underachieved started to hit stride a little bit. That's what it's going to take. This is not going to be some Michigan 17 passes to 47 runs type effort. Uh, It's going to be throwing the ball. And as a result, and there's a line of thinking out there that these, defense, these defensive units may, may rule the day. I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be a game in the 30s instead of a game in the low to mid-20s. And so let's take a look, Jesse. Oh boy, roll the dice here, if you will. Let's take a look at what the model thinks and what the Vegas number is. Again, right now at Caesars, LSU is a two and a half point favorite. Our model's inside of that. It's got LSU minus one. Here's what I arrived at. I could find just enough margin to where I liked LSU. So I'm going to take LSU to win. I'm going to take LSU to cover. And I'm going to tell you what I told Director Colin out there in the bomb shelter before the show started. I said, Colin, if you wanted to argue with me that Mississippi State's going to win this game, I wouldn't push back on you all that hard. But if they do, it creates an alternative universe in my mind that I just don't think we've arrived at yet. And the universe that we will enter on Saturday afternoon, if Mississippi State beats LSU, will be a fundamental shift down there. It will be nothing less than a fundamental over-the-cliff type shift, because anybody who's holding out hope will relinquish that hope. If they, being LSU, can't get it done Saturday. Thus the definition of a hinge game. So I'm going to take LSU to win, I'm going to take LSU to cover, and hope for you all's sake I'm right down there.
1: Get iXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com slash audio. Visit iXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
0: Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game it's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com how in the world do i even broach what we're about to have to talk about here okay so um we have had a lot of fun and a lot of misunderstanding with the jp poll uh it is a power rating I cannot in strong enough and slow enough terms explain the difference between a ranking and a rating. Nothing about this is merit-based. You don't earn the ability to move up or down. It is only predicated on how our model would pit you against another team if you played on a neutral field this Saturday. It, our model has had times where it would favor a 1-2 and team over a 3-0 and team. You are not what your record says you are in terms of predictability variance in college football. Anybody who is still under that misguided notion is destined to light their money on fire if they're ever betting on this stuff. Cheat code. Don't bet on it if you think that way. And so this is not an AP ballot. This is not how I would rank you if I were on the committee. If I were on the committee, Iowa would be in my top five. Iowa is not in our top ten there is a big difference, and odds makers would agree with that, by the way. I always reach out to them as reference points to make sure I'm not crazy, but the reason I'm teeing all this up this way is to hopefully avoid a lot of unnecessary arguments, but B, to tell you, even having said that, there is some stuff that this model spat out to me that I fundamentally disagree with, so let me just show you what it's all about. Jesse, let's start at 25. We're going to run through it right quick, and I'm going to tell you what I disagree with. Again, like Jake Rowe put it on Twitter today, I am a man at war with myself, because this is essentially my power ratings, and I disagree with some of them. Uh, Texas, Texas keeps floating in and out of the top 25. They're right there at 25. Brigham Young has cracked the top 25. They're at 24th. They go up seven spots. That is one of the biggest movers up or down this week. And we had money on them last week, so we appreciate it, Cougars. TCU drops a few spots, 23. Now, sometimes a team looks like they have dropped But in reality, what happens is their actual power rating is unchanged. It's just some other teams jumped ahead of them. So by default, it looks like they fell. Uh, TCU's at 23rd. Michigan State's up six spots. They are to number 22. And Kentucky is right there up three spots at number 21. Now let's go to number 20. Uh, We did not drop UCLA a whole lot uh, because we think a really, really good Fresno State team beat them. Fresno, by the way, is our 26th team. So they're one spot outside the top twenty five. UCLA's at 20. they are down three. Notre Dame, even in a win, we dropped them because the more we get into the season, the more obviously the model starts baking in this year's numbers and relinquishing preseason default settings. and Notre Dame has not shown the propensity to perform at anything relatively close to a top 15 level yet, and so they're at 19. Auburn jumps five spots in a loss because that's how a power rating works. They are at number 18 now. Arkansas is up two spots to 17. Listen. The model actually loved that Arkansas took care of business against Georgia Southern. That's a game that was off everyone's radar, but Arkansas did, above and beyond, from a point spread um, standpoint, what they were supposed to do. So they jumped two spots. Wisconsin's down four spots. I'm not even sure they played last week, but this is a situation where some teams jumped ahead of them, and their rating stayed relatively unchanged. If anything, Wisconsin's rating, I think we ticked a little bit up because they have a game against Penn State baked into their rating, and Penn State continues to rise. So that was actually a good thing for Wisconsin, even though they didn't play. Top 15, we go Iowa State and Iowa. Iowa's 14th, Iowa State's 15. We view those teams as dead even right now. There are percentage points difference. North Carolina is interesting. The model has North Carolina up five spots. It has not given up on the Tar Heels. They are at number 13 right now, The most diametrically opposed team stylistically in America from North Carolina is Michigan. Michigan is at 12. I went back last night and watched their entire game against Northern Illinois. They are a team with an unmistakable identity. It may cost them down the road. If they get down early and they have to play catch up, it may cost them. But I credit them at least. Jim Harbaugh was fielding some horrible questions this week, by the way, in press conferences. I credit them for figuring out something they want to be instead of dabbling in a whole lot. It's not the direction I thought they'd be going when they hired Josh Gattis a few years ago. It's probably not the direction Harbaugh thought he'd be going. But they have, and they're blowing people off the line of scrimmage. Cannot wait to see them against Rutgers Saturday. That sentence just came out of my mouth. Uh, We have got, where are we at? Number 11, Texas A&M. This is, again, with Zach Calzada being their starter temporarily, factored in. So if Haynes King reemerged today without them even playing a game, just his overall player rating would vault them back up into the top 10. What I'm trying to say is Calzada still has something to prove to us. Uh, Number 10, boy, this is a big drop. I mean, it's a really big drop. You don't see this very often. The Clemson Tigers dropped to number 10 because again, this week, the model started to heavily factor in this year's results and it shaved off an entire layer again, proportionately, of preseason default ratings. And if you're just factoring in this year, and that's what the model's starting to do more and more, boy, Clemson, it doesn't like them at all. Clemson barely in the top 10 right now. They're down six spots. I agree with that. Ohio State is down two more spots. To number nine, if you told me, even if they've lost games, if you told me Ohio State and Clemson would both be out the top eight by the time we get to week four, I would have questioned... Well, I would have questioned what model you're using. Well, I'm using mine, and there they are. Uh, Some of you don't think they've fallen far enough. I'm telling you that's radical for a power rating. Because keep in mind, in in our model, we are heavily factoring in talent level. And it has to tell you a lot, because it's hard, it's very hard to ever see a roster as loaded as Ohio State or Clemson anywhere outside the top five, even if they lose games. Because it's about forward thinking and who would be favored against who. The Vegas folks still have both of them, top seven, top six. Uh, I think they may have them top five. We don't. We don't. We just run things a little bit differently. So Florida's at number eight now. I mean, Florida, there was no question they were going to move up. Uh, We increased their power rating. The only question was how far were they going to move up. And only because of Cincinnati and Oregon really performing well did Florida not move up further. So they're at number eight right now. We got Cincinnati at seven, virtually unchanged. Uh, We've got Oregon at six, virtually unchanged. And then we get into the top five. We are the outlier on Ole Miss. We have been all year. I think the AP just now has Ole Miss where we had them in the preseason. We've got Ole Miss at number five. Let me break it down for you this way. There are not five other teams that our model would pick against Ole Miss on a neutral field tomorrow. And that's all this is about. That's all this model is about. Number four is Penn State. You want a fascinating Um, dichotomy of styles, if I were to put those two on a field tomorrow, what would it look like? Would it be a first to 40 or would it be a first to 24? I don't know. Uh, Here's where I'm thoroughly aggravated with the model. Oklahoma is not the third best team in the country. There's no way. There is absolutely no way. But I've told you above and beyond anything, we have built this to take feelings and gut and emotion out of it. So I wholeheartedly disagree with this. If you guys are pushing back out there on Oklahoma being third right now, You have my blessing. There is no prayer I would pick Oklahoma to beat Ole Miss right now. I I don't think I would pick them to beat Penn State right now, but I will tell you what's happening here, even if I disagree with it. The model is looking, again, at player overall talent rating, overall unit rating. It's looking at that. It's looking at everything up to and including coordinator and head coaching grades, but it's also looking at the fact that it does not believe Oklahoma has played its complete game. We always view games... As the grab claw machine, there are 100 versions in there. And each Saturday, you just draw one out. And it just thinks Oklahoma's had some bad draws. I disagree with this. I don't think Oklahoma is as good a team, maybe, as the model thinks. I know this sounds very confusing because it's, it's it's my model. It's our model. Doesn't mean I have to agree with it all the time. So I wholeheartedly disagree with Oklahoma at three. Georgia at two. Yep, I'm on board. Alabama at one. Yep, I'm on board. We have a nine think it's a, a, no, a nine, a 7.9 point gap between number two and number three. And I can assure you friends, I think the gap probably is a little bit wider than that. I always tell you if there are any kind of analog data, uh, comparative points, at least those words in some order make sense. If this year is synonymous within a year, if the model's starting to ping that and it keeps pinging 2011, And that was the year that you had two SEC teams in Bama and LSU just continue to distance themselves from the pack. And right now through four weeks, of course, or through three weeks, the model is saying this has a very 2011 feel to it in that we've got two SEC teams here, Bama and Georgia. And then there's this growing chasm every week. First time we've used that word on the air this year between number two and the rest of the field. Now, what's equally as interesting is there is no second gap right now. Normally what you have is you have a tier one gap, tier two, another gap, and then it's just a bunch of hodgepodge, a bunch of um, alphabet soup. We don't have that. We got one tier and it's two teams deep and then everything else is wide open. That spells Renaissance season. And I'll tell you this too. Now, this is just something to watch. There is a lot of argument out there that Georgia should be number one right now. And I get the argument. If you're filling out an AP ballot, go for it. I don't care. I never even know what the AP has said until Colin comes in here and tells me half the time. But I will tell you this, Alabama played Miami in week one. Remember that? Yeah. And Miami at the time was a top 20 team and Bama thrashed them. And so everyone for one week, at least anointed Alabama as the overwhelming best team in the country. And then there was a gap and then there was everyone else. Remember that? Even though Georgia had beaten Clemson, there was a gap and there was everyone else. And then you obviously saw Bama struggle, albeit in a win, against Florida. And in retrospect, they were doing that about the same time Miami was getting woodshedded at home against Michigan State. And so you were able to say, you know, in retrospect, Miami, wasn't all that impressive a win. We should have known. Maybe we overinflated that win. Well, friends, that's happening with Georgia too, and no one seems to realize it. Clemson's not a good football team right now relative to what you expect them to be. And Georgia beat them 10-3 to three in week one. And there is some lofty praise being passed around for Georgia right now. And I'm telling you, you do not talk things into existence. You do not write things into existence. There is some vulnerability on that Georgia defense. It looks impenetrable right now. I know that. There's gonna come a time, even against a relatively inferior schedule for Georgia, where someone's gonna throw the ball on them. Someone's gonna move the ball a little bit better. My point is, I, I'm starting to see that overinflation that happened with Alabama for a couple of weeks is happening with Georgia right now. It'll cycle. You'll see someone push Georgia more than they should, and all of a sudden you'll start asking the same questions about Georgia. But even when that happens, as much as it sounds like I'm saying Georgia's overrated right now, I'll then be there to tell you no, 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 no. Georgia's not overrated. You may have had them overrated. We think we've got them properly rated. And we're telling you, even after you saw Georgia struggle a little bit, they're still that much better and then we'll be able to go to work. So right now, uh, Jesse shows you the full screen. Uh, there is a lot of disagreement in my own head. It's a staff of one here on the poll. Uh, we got a lot of disagreement, because Oklahoma, that paper that this is written on, it has a smell to it. That's how suspicious that is, that Oklahoma's at number three. I don't like it. Okay, let's move on. Let's got one, I got one more game to predict, actually. We put it at the end. I kind of forgot about this. Notre Dame, Wisconsin. This game is Saturday at Soldier Field at high noon, 11 local time there. And Wisconsin's favored by six. What do we think about this? Because I don't think a lot of you saw that coming in the preseason. What do we think about this? Interesting dynamics in play. It's it's like a whole dynamics game. Because the post-game win probability metrics tell you Wisconsin's undefeated. But the scoreboard tells you otherwise. It says they lost in week one. They did. I'm not going to go through the box score again. But those, it was one of those games where Wisconsin, they outgain them. First down edge was insane. Time of possession edge was insane. The yardage edge, all that stuff. But turnovers cost them a game. Inefficiency in the red zone cost them a game. Well, that means what? Well, it means they're a one-loss team. But from a dynamics standpoint, Notre Dame also was on the ropes in week one. But they happened to win. And they've been on the ropes again since then. But they've happened to win. But, from a again future thinking standpoint, from a forward thinking predictability standpoint the the records are thrown out like they're Wisconsin's the better team, like that's what they're telling you. even with one loss, they're the better team. Notre Dame has not had to pay the price for their ineffectiveness yet. Wisconsin has that's what I'm telling you. And from a dynamic standpoint, that puts Wisconsin back in to the corner. Badger and all they are the wounded animal here. They are in must win mode. They're the one in desperation mode. There's still a safety net under Notre Dame. There is not under Wisconsin. Jack Cohn is going to be talked about a lot this week. And unlike some cases where the storyline crowd just has it all wrong, I think Jack Cohn actually is the most important player in this game. The one-time Wisconsin quarterback now piloting the offense for Tommy Reese and Notre Dame. I would not be surprised. Well, and you know what? I take this back. I started to say it the wrong way. I'd be very surprised if Notre Dame has a ton of success on the ground. And because of that, it's probably going to be on Jack Cohn. If they move the ball offensively, it's probably going to be on him. Stands to reason he is the quarterback. Now, the good news is if we were just running seven on seven, if we were just running skeleton here, there are some plays to be had on that Wisconsin secondary. Jack Cohn is good enough to make some of those plays. He's had some good numbers uh, this fall so far. Here's the bad news. I don't know how much time he's going to be given, which is why that passing on early downs, you know, three-step drop, quick slant game, the screen game, it's going to be imperative. They got to manufacture some loosening of that box early on, early downs. And they've also got to establish some rhythm and tempo and actually move the ball a little bit because what we don't want to see here is we don't want to turn this game on and there's two minutes to go in the first quarter and it's just been uh, three series of three and outs for Notre Dame. Because if that happens, it's going to be hard to settle in to anything that even reeks of rhythm for them. So that's important on early downs, early in the game. But this strange shift has started to happen. I felt it this week. If you have listened to anyone talk about this game, you've probably felt it this week. A lot of people have looked, as I just did, at Notre Dame's relative inefficiency offensively. And just as a team overall, they've looked at them and they've said, that's not going to work against Wisconsin. Afraid not, guys. Even some Notre Dame fans feel that way. And so I get it. Like, there's a lot of validity if you're looking at Notre Dame in a vacuum. But can I ask you this? When in the world did Graham Mertz all of a sudden become a quarterback that everyone is tripping over each other to cast their lot with? Graham Mertz has been bad under pressure so far this year. Like, this Wisconsin offense, I'm kind of disappointed in because I thought they'd be more than they are. So I'm telling you, I agree that the right team is favored here. I'm about to give you my prediction in a second, but there is no ton of confidence to be had picking Wisconsin in this game. Even if you've got a model like we do, that's going to lean solidly one way or solidly the other, this is going to be a game where one bob play, one bounce of ball play could be the difference in outcome. Uh, this is not some offense that is waiting to strike. You're not going to see the Graham Mertz of week one against Illinois last year. In other words, or if you do, it's going to be something different than we've seen so far this year. So. If we were to flip the week one results, what would the line look like? If, let's say, uh, FSU were to make one more play and they beat Notre Dame in overtime, it wouldn't mean the teams are any different. If Wisconsin has one less turnover against Penn State and they win in week one, the teams wouldn't be any different. A couple of plays would be different. The record would be different. But the quality of teams, as it relates to this Saturday, they wouldn't be any different. Point spread would. I think the point spread would look a whole lot different. There's a lot of perception, I think, based or baked into this line. And I normally want to be contrarian with that, but I can't do it because I also think that through three weeks now, I don't think it's just random happenstance. I think Notre Dame has shown us who they are. And when teams do you the favor of showing you who they are, you need to believe them, do yourself a favor and believe them. So let's take a look, Jesse, at what the model says. And I'm going to tell you it says that Wisconsin uh, is right to be favored as much as they are. So I, I actually sent Jesse a wrong number. Um, I see it now. Wisconsin is favored by six in Vegas, true enough. Our model actually has Wisconsin by seven, not four, as it says on the screen. Um, and I agree with that. There's not a ton of confidence, by the way, behind my pick uh, because of Graham merch, but I agree with that. I think Wisconsin's got more edge here. I think they're going to own the line of scrimmage a lot more. I think Wisconsin's going to win the game, and I actually think they're going to cover in a matchup that ends up feeling a whole lot like Penn State versus Auburn last week. There was never a time where Penn State's pulling away, but the cumulative effect of incremental margins over the span of four quarters gives you a 28-20 to 20 win, and I think that's kind of the final that you're going to see here, somewhere in that range with Wisconsin having enough edges. But that game at noon, very interesting. I'm all for it. I love the early games, but most of you don't. I get it. But we'll take Wisconsin to win and Wisconsin to cover. All right, final order of business here. We got another best bet to add to the Ramen Noodle Express. So far, we've handed out four. We gave out four. That's a record. I checked the archives. That is a record for the Sunday show. Well, now we've given out five. If you were following on Twitter earlier today, I hope you were. At Kick Josh. the number already moved. Some say we moved it. I'm not one of those people, but some say we moved it. So here's what we have so far. We've got Army minus six and a half. That one moved as soon as we put it out. Uh, you've probably missed the opportunity to get on that one if you weren't following. Central Michigan minus minus ten and a half. They're playing FIU. Utah State plus nine and a half. They are playing Boise. San Jose State plus one and a half at Western Michigan. I'm gonna go back to that game in a second. Here's the newest addition. Colorado plus 14 and a half. They are playing Arizona State on the road our model has an 81% cover probability on Colorado. So either it's broken or this is like the lock of the century. And I don't believe in locks, but I also don't believe the model is totally broken. We are going to take Colorado. I mean, guys, give a good, full-hearted effort and lose by eight, and we'll be proud of you. This San Jose State game, let me tell you why they're a dog. I still believe in them. We're still betting them. They played at Hawaii last week. That is a haul. I don't care if you're on the West Coast. That's a haul. And then they come back, and now they've got to go on the road again to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, that is a tough back-to-back road stretch. Like I'm over here feeling, I'm feeling bad for Arkansas because they got to get on a plane three weeks in a row to go to Dallas, Athens, and Oxford. And meanwhile, you got San Jose State flying halfway to Japan, kind of literally, and then flying halfway to Europe, kind of literally. And so, boy, it's going to be tough, but we're going to take him anyway. Look at me chopping up Jesse. It's probably just because I'm talking that fast. If you're on podcast, be thankful. All right, uh, since our video is about to go, I think I'll go, too. Thank you so much for watching. For Director Colin and our entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.
1: Let's go! It's the most all-star-studded challenge ever, and this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Sasha! The Challenge All-Stars, new season now streaming on Paramount+. Go to ParamountPlus.com
0: to try it free. Terms apply.